Hello, and we're back. Here we are, episode 12 of the Hackable You podcast. Alex and Will joining me again, as always, to discuss our cyber news, our topic of the week, and our favourite segment, Secrets from the Sock. Evening, guys. We've just had a bank holiday weekend. What did you get up to? Good evening. I'm feeling nice and refreshed. I've uh, finished Chernobyl, which I'm a little bit late to the party, but it's a really, really good TV show. Chernobyl or Chernobyl? Chernobyl, is it not? Chernobyl? I'm asking you. Chernobyl. It's very, very good. That was on Sky, right? About a year or so ago? Yeah, yeah. I've just got Now TV binged it over the weekend. Really, really good. Okay, going to have to add that to the list. I uh, haven't watched that yet. Uh, not much, really. I um, went out on the bike for a bit and sort of chilled out, um, doing the usual sort of things you do when you're 33, you know, housework mainly, and uh, slowly see your soul drifting away in your, in your time off. But other than that, standard weekend, really. Does anyone else have images here of Will strapping on his uh, marigolds and, and getting down and dirty with the dishes? To be honest, when you said Will strapping on, I stopped listening. So, no. Fair enough. I'll give you that. Right, anyway, so let's... Uh... <laughs> that is one way to completely put me off for a podcast recording, Alex. Well done, well done. Anyway, <laughs> let's jump into our first segment, which is the cyber news for this week. So first up this week looks at a Apple Mac malware. And this is related to an Apple Mac malware family known as Schleyer, which has been able to bypass Apple's automated vetting process. So if you didn't know, since February 2020, all Mac apps that are not hosted in the Apple Mac store must be notarized by Apple themselves. Essentially, this is a seal of approval from Apple that the software is safe, it's not malicious, and it can be run on your machine. If it's not notarized by Apple, macOS won't let the application run. However, in this case, Schleyer malware has been able to completely bypass that process and has actually been seen infecting Apple Mac OS devices. Most people think that Apple products you don't get malware on. People always seem to think it's Windows. However, this story just goes to show that even if you do have an Apple Mac computer or potentially even an iphone you're not safe you must still be wary of the threats that are out there and yes you can get infected guys what do you make of this i saw a really good stat from kaspersky that said that around 10 percent of all mac devices are actually infected with this um and it's actually quite a nasty little piece of malware what it does is uh, it introduces a malicious proxy on your device which then enables the attacker to intercept your HTTPS traffic, so all your sensitive information relating to your banking or anything that you're thinking is safe can actually be read. I think um, it's a bit of a sort of nature of what's happened. So for a long time, like you said, people have assumed and believed that, you know, do you remember, do you remember how everyone used to say, oh, get a Mac because Macs can't get infected by viruses? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my whole was... family used to say that. <laughs> and some people still say it today. And well, it, you know, obviously the reality behind that is is clearly false, um, and that whilst the you know whilst we all know that there is less malware for Macs um, or Apple devices in general, that was originally only led by the, those devices were such a smaller market share, so it wasn't really worth you know as as heavily developing malware for those things. But nowadays, you know, Apple devices, I mean, iPhones are one of the most popular um, Apple devices, if not the if, if not the most popular Apple device. Um, so I think we can only expect to see more and more 
um, Apple-based malware to come in the future. Yeah, and what we must remember is the actual like foundational uh, building blocks of Mac OS is Linux, and everyone has heard of Linux malware before, and and Linux you know exploits, and people wouldn't you know uh, stop to think about the fact that their Linux servers in their estate might get infected. But yet again, there's this kind of blanket shield across Mac devices. Apple are definitely seen to be a more secretive company and operation even if there was a massive breach or massive malware family that was impacting apple devices you'd never hear it from apple Uh, i don't think they'd ever make a statement on that either Uh, so it just goes to show as you already said will yes windows devices are uh, mass market holders Uh, most corporate entities will use windows devices that's why there is a sheer amount more of uh, windows malware however you know you're not immune having an apple mac and you still should have apple mac uh, antivirus on there and malware protections as well as all the basic security controls that you would have on a windows you must apply the same to your mac device so next up looks at a distributed denial of service or ddos attack against the new zealand stock exchange so here the new zealand stock exchange was subject to a ddos attack that lasted two days meaning that they had to hold trading on their cash markets Essentially, this is a major outage for the New Zealand Stock Exchange and brokers and stock analysts across New Zealand would have been impacted. Slightly related, and slightly related, a number of New Zealand finance institutions have reported being threatened by DDoS attacks, believed to be linked back to a Russian cybercrime gang, Fancy Bears, which has known links to Russian state sponsorship. Will, you had a look at this article this week. What more can we know about this DDoS attack? I mean, the details aren't... Um, extensive out there at the moment, probably because they're looking to try and, um, you know, because of the sensitivity of, the, of how important the stock exchange is, they don't want to kind of perhaps release too much detail at the moment. I think it's, I know we spoke some some um, episodes ago now where we were sort of saying, you know, is, is this the end of DDoS attacks? You know, once they kind of became mitigated um, by various technology solutions, you know, were we going to see yeah. them essentially eliminated? Um and I think maybe this shows that there is clearly still some very specific scenarios and specific targets which are, you know, still going to be of interest. And maybe, maybe what we might see is a is a slight spike again um, in certainly threats of DDoS attacks because this kind of proves that they can still be effective. Absolutely, and in high availability, high fidelity scenarios or environments, you know, DDoS attack does does show a, a real threat and. I think I really want to emphasize the impact that, that you know it can have on the stock exchange. You can absolutely cripple businesses. Um, it could be seen as a form of insider trading if you're trying to manipulate the stock markets. It's some of the biggest white collar crime and white collar fraud is all done and around associated to playing with the stock markets. Um, the links back to fancy bears, although you know it's not proven that fancy bears were behind this particular two day DDoS attack does go to show that maybe there is some form of meddling going on against the stock exchange to try and impact some some sale values or to try and uh, influence some company decisions. I think uh, this is the scary side of DDoS where it's not just about taking down a website because you're a hacktivist or you want to prove a point. You can have a serious impact on global trade and the knock-on kind of snowball effect that that might have. I think the best and maybe the worst thing about it is that it's simple it's simple and effective. So when someone's been hit by a DDoS attack, although it comes under that same umbrella as a cyber attack, there's not necessarily any compromise that's been involved there. So no one's actually been hacked. It's actually really, really simple to fire off a DDoS attack and anyone can do it. Extremely simple, extremely effective. 
and very difficult to pick apart, right? The fact that it is a distributed denial of service attack means that the IP addresses attacking the kind of certain endpoints are across the globe and you're never going to really, you know, work those back. In most cases, they are vast, vast botnets that are doing DNS reflection attacks or whatever they might be uh, to really to throw a sheer amount of traffic to the endpoint to bring it down. Unless you have, you know, unless you're able to pick apart that botnet and work out who owns the botnet or who might be selling that particular botnet, only then would you possibly be able to find out who was the source behind that DDoS attack. So it's almost a bit of an untouchable type of cybercrime if you're successful in it. You, you know, the, the likelihood of you being spotted is, is quite low, especially at this level here. So the last news item for this week is potentially my favourite. It relates to the Alphabay dark web marketplace and the fact that a moderator has been sentenced to 11 years in prison. Now, if you don't know, Alphabay is essentially a dark web eBay style marketplace where you can buy drugs, hacks and fraudulent personal accounts or details uh, for, for a small price in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency. You might have heard of Silk Road before. You might have heard of some other types of uh, dark web marketplaces but Alphabay was probably one of the first really complex really well engineered dark web marketplaces. A gentleman named Brian Connor Herrell who was 25 from the Colorado USA was the moderator for this hugely popular dark website. Now Brian was responsible for settling disputes between vendors and buyers and taking a salary of Bitcoin from Alphabay owners. He's recently pleaded guilty and been subject to 11 years in prison. It's quite interesting to see this rear its head after a few years. I think Alphabet was taken down in 2017. Um, so to suddenly see this pop up on my newsfeed today was a real shock. Was, oh, wow, they're doing something about Alphabet. And, um, you know, the moderator was, you know, he was settling claims of scammers and things like that. And actually, it could be argued that he was just doing a good thing, on this, on, albeit on a dark web marketplace. But... It's a little bit like the authorities are just going full blast. Um, set an example uh, for anyone who's connected in any way with this marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird that it goes quiet because when the site goes down, you immediately know that law enforcement are kind of on the front foot in one place and they have to do loads of evidence gathering, lots of unpicking to do there, especially the kind of um, how advanced this marketplace was. There must have been a lot to unpick. And we're now, you know, three years on and we start to see uh, some form of activity, some sentences going on. I think it goes to show you this is probably the first chapter in what is to be a longer story in uh, prosecuting those who are responsible for Alphabay. And maybe the fact that this moderator has been caught is really the first kind of weakness and kink in the chain for that organised crime network who are responsible for the site. Something that you can imagine there'll be a film about in a while. I know with Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht, there was a load of documentaries and stuff online about it. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll watch this space closely to see if anything else happens. So that summarises our cyber news for this week. We hope you found that interesting. We all certainly did. And it's time that we hop into the topic of the week. So topic of the week. A chance for us to give a bit of a lecture, a bit of education for you guys and to have something to take away and uh, research a little bit more. So this week we're going to concentrate on the cyber threat kill chain and touch upon something called the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Now, when you start to work in cybersecurity or even when you're studying at a basic level, you'll learn that there are a lot of models and frameworks and diagrams that 
aim to simplify and explain what we do and why we do it. And in my opinion, and I'm sure you guys will both agree that the cyber threat kill chain is probably one of the most important foundational concepts or models to understand when it comes to kind of cyber attacks. Essentially, what the cyber threat kill chain is, is a seven stage process for how a cyber attacker or a cyber criminal completes his hack, how he goes about doing what he needs to do. And it's broken into seven phases. And those phases are firstly reconnaissance, weaponization, delivery, exploitation, installation, commander control, and actions on objectives. Now, let's break those apart one by one. I'll take a couple and I'll pass over to the guys to talk about some of the others as well. So right off the back, we have reconnaissance. This is your information gathering. If you think about your standard burglar on your street, they're not just going to drive up to a random house, break down the door and start looting the place. Normally, there's a little bit more logic in, and uh, reconnaissance that goes around there. They drive up and down the road. They look what they look to see what houses might have burglar alarms. Once they found a few houses that don't, they might watch you and your ingoings and your outgoings to see when you're in the house and when you're not in the house. They might assess to see whether you've got a dog, whether you have young children, all of these sorts of things. And only once they've picked their perfect victim and their perfect time will they go in and do the burglary. This is exactly the same when it comes to cyber criminals, but using a digital form to do it. Reconnaissance will be scanning networks, understanding your footprint online, doing some open source intelligence gathering to try and understand where your weaknesses are as a company, whether you have any externally facing vulnerabilities, who your key members of staff are that you might be able to impersonate for a phishing attack. This is all part of the reconnaissance phase. Now, once you understand all of that and you know the weaknesses, you will then move on to the second stage, which is weaponization. This is all about coupling your exploit with a backdoor or payload delivery. It is working out what you need to do to attack and be successful. Taking a Word document, putting malware in it, taking an exploit that might be known, tweaking it or whatever it might be, and really essentially building the weapon which you will use to gain access to that network. So for delivery, once you have your all your information that you need from reconnaissance and you have your piece of malware, you weaponize it, you've got it ready. Delivery is all about giving that. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> <laughs> delivery is all about giving that to your victim. So that's going to be about uh, having the victim download it from a website or sending it to them via email or physically inserting that via USB drive onto the system. It's the way that you get your malicious code onto your victim. So once you have your malicious code delivered, the next step is to actually trigger an exploit in a vulnerable application, or it, in most cases, it could be in the vulnerable person. So it's where you exploit that weakness and you really start to move on to get your claws into the system that you want to get into. Well, next up we have installation and command and control. So the next two phases we have are installation and command and control. Um, so installation is about, well, you, you can probably guess what it's about. Um, <laughs> it's about it's about ensuring that you can um, you know, install or create persistent um, access um, to, to your target, really. Um, 
the what you've got to think about is not many threat actors are going to try and achieve all of their objectives in one fell swoop. They're going to want to ensure that they are where they think they are and where they want to be um, and ensure that they are going to be able to act how they want to act. They go and repeat um, the phases, don't they? You know, your, exactly, your, yeah. your export, you'll get in. Once you're in, you then almost need to start again and work out what your next step is and go through all of those phases. And that doesn't happen in minutes or hours. It can take days, weeks, months, sometimes years. Exactly, and there's a there's a common misconception that the, that the kill chain is a is a linear process, and it really isn't. It's a it's like Ed says, you know, like say it's a it's a continuous pro- process. When when you learn about pen testing, you know, when you when you get access to that first machine, you don't just stop there or start exploiting the next machine. You have to then start the reconnaissance all over Absolutely. again because you now yeah, need yeah. to see see where you can spread from there. So so that installation is is basically that that persistence phase where you're ensuring that that you can return to this point if you get disconnected the door, kicked out or whatever. Um, so the next part of it, uh, command and control. Um, everyone's heard about you know, CNC servers and command and control servers. We even spoke about um, it on a recent podcast episode. Exactly, and and essentially this is this is the part where um, you know where where the attacker or the or the piece of malware needs to communicate back to the to the command really. Um, so. This might be, you know, uh, this might be a a server, uh, command and control server, um, centralized server somewhere, or it might be a number of different command and control servers. But essentially, their their operation is going to be issuing commands to that piece of malware or or to that, you know, that that uh, that infection. Absolutely, that's right. It's all about having the ability to have complete command over what you've just installed your persistence on um, and ensuring that the next phase which is actions on objectives is successful so the last phase to wrap it all up is what i've just mentioned actions on objectives now this is how the attacker is going to achieve what he wants so if the end goal is to steal personal data it is going about that way and getting into the place where you can steal personal data if it is uploading more malicious files to cause further infection and you're using a, uh, a third party is a bit of a stepping stone to combat a larger organization essentially it's with hands-on keyboard access intruders will accomplish their original goal so you can see there it is a you know it's a it's a bit of a phase that takes you from nothing to completing your attack and for me i think it's one of the most important things to learn if you're junior or trying to get into the industry and really understanding it to the absolute core because it just, A, gives you that attacker mindset we've spoken about. It allows you to understand what your response might need to be and also potentially predict what the next steps are when it comes to things like threat hunting or proactive intelligence, which we'll talk about later in another podcast episode. Alex, Will, you've been in the industry a little while. You've also come up through that kind of junior roles. How important was the kill chain to you and what real world use have you seen from it? What I think it really does is it helps you to prioritise the alerts that you're seeing in front of you. So if you're able to map the alerts that you're receiving to the cyber threat kill chain, it's going to help you to understand how quickly you need to respond. And it's going to help you to prioritize your response. So for example, if you're seeing an alert for a connection to a command and control server, that's going to really help you think, well, there has to have been a few steps before that. So you have a problem somewhere else. So you really have to think, damn someone has command and control over one of my endpoints i've got a bigger issue 
Whereas if you're seeing an alert for some reconnaissance, that's not necessarily a compromise. You know, someone's just having a little bit of a scan on your network just to see what's there. Could potentially brew into an issue, but it might not. But if you do have one of those endpoints calling out to a command control server, or you, you, know, you have data leaving your network, in which case that's a threat actor having actions on objectives, that, that's a much bigger issue than someone just sort of probing to see what's open. The best example I can give of that was uh, when I was responding to an incident where we were aware that uh, a web application exploit was being uh, attempted and actually successfully exploited on a, on a website. Um, so what we could see within the logs were um, the the exploit pushing through. So in this case, it was cross-site scripting. We could see the cross-site scripting script uh, being run and the successful kind of return, and we could see it being successful. But like Alex has already said, they don't just kind of find a website and all of a sudden they're suddenly exploiting cross-site scripting or SQL injection or whatever layer 7 attack it might be. So taking the source IP address from that particular event, we're able to look at our network logs over a wider span of time to find out when was the first time we started seeing uh, traffic from this IP address. And we were able to see all of the network scans going on. We could see the entirety of the reconnaissance phase and work out exactly what the attacker was doing in order to find the vulnerability that they then went on to exploit. So it's a really useful tool to understand this kill chain to allow you to work backwards and forwards, which are both equally as important when it comes to incident response. So the cyber threat kill chain has been around for a day and an age. I don't think it will ever go. And as I've already said, for a basic understanding about how attackers do things, it is real foundational. Learn it, understand it, and be able to report back when you've dealt with an incident, map it back to a phase of the cyber threat kill chain, because it's really going to show how articulate and how well you understand cybersecurity. But that being said, new things come around the block all the time and we would be doing the industry a disjustice if we didn't mention the MITRE ATT&CK framework. So although I wouldn't say this was a replacement to the cyber threat kill chain, I think it absolutely supplements and provides more detail into the same sort of premise and idea, which is how attackers do things. At the technical term, these are called TTPs or Tactics, Techniques and Procedures. And what the MITRE ATT&CK does is break down tactics about what attackers want to do and their techniques on how they do it. Now, we could spend hours talking about the MITRE ATT&CK framework, and I'm sure there are a number of colleagues and people who are listening to this that would love to chew the fat over the MITRE ATT&CK framework. But essentially, what I recommend you do is go and have a look at the MITRE ATT&CK website and look at the framework. You'll see a, a grid. You'll see a box grid. And across the top, you have your kind of column headings. Now, these are your tactics. So these will be things like initial access, execution, persistence, lateral movement, exfiltration, really high level um, phases of an attack, very similar to the cyber threat kill chain. And then below those, in other columns and cells, you then have the techniques. Now, this is how the attacker does it. So a really good example of this is under the initial access tactic on the mitre attack framework you will have hardware additions this is simply usb stick style attacks uh things like uh, rubber duckies land turtles packet squirrels all these sorts of hardware additions you might add onto a network or onto an endpoint in order to get your initial foothold and so on and so forth so 
for me, and this is how I kind of explained it to the guys earlier, once you understand the cyber threat kill chain and you're able to map incidents back to that, you can clearly articulate that. You then want to graduate onto the MITRE ATT&CK framework and start using that more. The industry is using MITRE ATT&CK more and more and more every single day. Lots more vendors are mapping their alerts to it. Loads more people are reporting based on the MITRE ATT&CK framework and genuinely is a fantastic core tool and component and uh, glossary of how attackers do things and i highly recommend that you spend some time looking that up once you understand the cyber threat kill chain positive positive point for my attack is its visualness if that's a word is visualness a word i don't think oh, I just it made is, up a... but we'll roll with it, it visualness visualness by will read tm um, <laughs> so i think you know having everything kind of laid down in front of you and you know a common thing that people do is is, is use it use, use like a kind of heat mapping to map um you know um points of it that they know or you know that you have good you know um visibility and, and coverage of alerting for and there and parts of it that are gaps and from that heat map you can really start to see patterns and kind of and you can really visualize those those weaker areas perhaps that need addressing um, and that's i think that's really powerful i think for yourself to understand that is, is a powerful tool but also presenting that to you know to leadership is also really useful as well if you're in the position where you're interviewing for either a junior role or maybe even a more established role within a security team um, expect to have questions around uh, kind of attack phases the kill chain maybe mitre and if you're not asked questions about those and if you're not asked questions about those definitely try and slip them in because if you understand them um, you're really going to show your knowledge and your worth by mapping back to either the cyber threat kill chain or MITRE attack. Just sit in the interview like, MITRE, MITRE! And then... <laughs> I, have, I have such horrid images now of the next interview I ever do of someone that does that and is just putting it on us in this podcast. <laughs> if you ever have an interview where someone's doing that, we apologise, but uh, oh God, that's funny. <laughs> Cool, right. So this one this week is a little bit of a nugget we think will be useful. Probably a really good time to talk about this given the impact that COVID has had on conferences and webinars and networking events. So what we want to talk about this week is how to make the most of going to a conference, sitting on a webinar or utilising security networking events. More often than not, people want to go to things like Black Cat, DEF CON, maybe InfoSec Europe to really learn a lot about security and they can be quite daunting they are long days and and most of these events are paid for tickets now if you have a company paying for you they're not just going to send you there to have a good time if they are great lucky for you but most organizations need to see it as either an education opportunity or to provide some form of business benefit for me my number one top tip is go in with an action plan don't just go in wandering around the vendor halls, picking up free t-shirts and bouncy balls and fidget spinners, although don't get me wrong, we all enjoy some free swag. You want to have a plan and you want to know what you're going to get out of the day. Nearly every conference will publish some form of agenda for speaking, for keynote speakers, for side sessions or seminars. And what I've done in the past is you look at that and you work out which ones interest you the most. And my second tip relates to that, which is... Break it down into two things. Firstly, 
what seminars, what topics, what keynote talks are going to benefit you in the role you're doing now? What do you want to learn? Do you want to learn how to be better at IR? Do you want to learn about how to use the MITRE ATT&CK framework? Do you want to learn how to start an offensive security? And then the second part of that is to what do you want to know? What, what captures your interest? What, uh, what do you want to educate yourself on to kind of keep yourself current and you're really interested in that you want to learn a little bit more about? What I would say is keep an open, open mind about some of the topics being talked about because sometimes in conferences I've found is that they give some a bit of an obscure name. You look at it and think, I'm not really sure what, what that's about, so I'm not going to bother going to it. But a few of those sort of sessions or talks I've gone to before with obscure names have actually been some of the most interesting ones that have perhaps brought a, a new topic that I haven't really thought about before or given me insight into something that I didn't know much about. So my top tips for attending an event is actually don't pack out your day too much. Um, and that's something that I learned the hard way, you know, in one of my very early conferences. They're long days and they often run from 8 in the morning, often up to 6, 7 p.m. It's really easy to find some really, really interesting topics uh, that, that you want to go to. And you can easily fill your day jam-packed back-to-back with seminars, workshops and demonstrations. But when you do that, you realize that you've taken so much in. It's so much to learn and you feel a little bit fatigued and you, you actually realize that you don't know what you've learned. So my top tip is don't pack in too much. Pack yourself in a couple of hours at a seminar. Pack yourself in some talks and network with um, some vendors and some other people in your industry. Okay, so thanks, guys. So let's, let me just summarize those tips for everyone, right? So first things first, plan your day. Look at the agenda, look at the seminars that are on and plan what talks you want to go to. Second point relating to that, split out your talks and the seminars you want to attend to between what you need to learn for your job role that's going to make you better at what you do today and then what you want to know about which interests you, which is going to help you grow in different areas of the industry or potentially cybersecurity. The third tip from Will was around keeping an open mind. Don't just look at the titles of the talks and be put off by them. Don't judge a book by its cover. And the fourth tip from Alex was all around not packing your day out. These days are long. There is plenty to do and plenty to take in and you will be knackered by the end of it after walking around exhibition halls all day uh, and uh, sitting through lots of lots of talks. The final tip I want to add as well is take a notebook and a pen. That is going to be your best friend. Take notes, vendors you might see, products you like the look of, technology that you think are cool, notes from the talks, all these sorts of things. I'm a massive advocate for taking notes and having a notepad and pen with you at all times. And this is the same for webinars. Plan out what webinars you might want to attend to, what you want to learn, what's going to help you, take notes, keep an open mind. All these sorts of things can be applied just to the virtual scenario. And that wraps up the podcast for this week. We'll jump straight into the key takeaways with no delay. Coming to Alex. Um, if I ever interview you for your next sock role, don't shout miter at me. <laughs> Great tip. <laughs> Moving on, Will. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that um, if you want to learn something about miter more than just shouting at your interviewer, um, then absolutely go and check out that training. It's generally a good training. Um, the training will do you well. Shouting miter at your interviewer will not do you well. And for me, I'm going to stick by it. Notebooks are your friend. A good security analyst, a good investigator, a good IR specialist will take good notes, will document what they do, what they learn, and really uh, and use a notebook to their advantage. Whether it's pen and paper or software type version, I promise you, take notes, 
write things down and you will learn and get better and better and better the more you do guys thank you very much for being with me this week as always that finishes the podcast that is the end of episode 12 we'd like to thank you for listening and we will catch all of you in the next episode